Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a relationship expert, executive consultant, and life management coach. Cynthia Hyatt uses her 30 years of experience as a licensed psychotherapist to now offer in-office or concierge services through executive life coaching, consulting, and image management in order to help you be your own best version. Cynthia also specializes in speaking to groups worldwide about how to be successful in relationships, as well as artfully handling life's challenges. She has had many opportunities to present numerous educational seminars and lectures on a variety of motivational, inspirational, and mental health topics around the world. Please take a moment to visit her website at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's Cynthia, H-I-E-T-T dot com. Her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated for current events, updates, and inspiration during your week, as well as all social media platforms. You can hear this show as a podcast on iTunes and many other podcast services. Follow her on Facebook and Instagram. Now, with today's fresh insight, here's Cynthia Hyatt. Well, good afternoon. Thank you for joining me today. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. And I'm so glad that you are joining me today and that you also let your friends and family know about the show. So make sure you tell people about uh, the website, which is CynthiaHyatt.com. And we also have all kinds of podcasts that are available for you of all the different shows that I've done. So today, I was going to do a show called The Devil is in the Details. But I think we'll do that next week because with all that's going on right now, I want to give you some inspiration. And so we're going to talk about a life beyond your wildest dreams. And this comes from the book that I wrote, God Wants You Truly Living, Not Walking Dead. And that one is also on Audible, so you can listen to it there as well. And so Ephesians 3.20, this is out of the Message Bible. It says, God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us his spirit deeply and gently within us. John 10.10 says, this is in the Amplified Bible, it says the the thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. So what is an abundant life? See, if Jesus came to give us this life, then we see that this life lived abundantly was not due to wealth, power, prestige, looks, or popularity. So then what made his life abundant? Well, we often feel like the above list is abundance, is the things we find ourselves striving for, It is difficult for us to comprehend that this is not where happiness lies. In popularity, in prestige, in power, in wealth, all these things. So this is is because, this is interesting how the words put side by side, happiness lies. This is because God's not trying to give us happy as a goal. He realizes that happiness is a natural outcome of an abundant life. So the thief, 
as he's referred to in the verses that we're using as the foundation for this show today. The thief realizes that if I pursue happiness, I will simply be achieving pleasure, which only creates a bigger void in my life that must be continuously fed, and it becomes bigger and deeper, screaming more loudly to be fulfilled. All we need to do is read the book of Ecclesiastes to see that the wisest man that ever lived found the pursuit of pleasure to be meaningless. Remember, happiness lies where happiness lies. So what made the life of Jesus abundant? Well, first and foremost, he was free. He had a deep relationship with his creator. So think about that. He was free. He didn't have to die on the cross. He didn't have to be on this planet. He didn't have to talk to the disciples. He didn't have to heal people. He didn't have to do anything that he did. But he had a deep relationship with his creator, which was his father, that is God. And having that relationship meant that God knew best as to what to direct Jesus to do in order to fulfill the call that he had on his life. So what helped Jesus is that he had that deep and meaning, meaningful relationship with his creator and with other humans. He also had a clear conscience, never betraying his own value system. He only did what the Father told him to do. Now, that does not mean that Jesus didn't have wants, <clears throat> excuse me, or didn't have needs, or didn't have ideas or dreams, because he's human, right? So he's very similar in that way to us. And this is where we realize that, wow, God sent a man to do things, to inspire me to do those things, realizing that they're able to be done. So he realized his value was based solely in being loved by his father. Now, we have talked about this on this show so many times. Where do we get our identity from? Is our identity from how we look, who we know, how much money we have, what we own, how strong we are, how musical we are, how brilliant we are, how many kids we have, what kind of a car do we have? I mean, it goes on and on and on. So one of the things that made Jesus so strong and able to do everything that he did while he was on this earth was that his value was based solely in being loved by his father. If everybody else hated him, he felt good about himself because his father approved of him. His father loved him. And lastly, and most importantly, he had meaning and purpose. See, this is so important for humans. Meaning and purpose is, it's one of those things that if we don't have meaning and purpose, we fail, we die. We collapse. We don't know what to do with ourselves. Because meaning and purpose is one of the biggest needs that humans have. And so Jesus fulfilled. He walked out the very thing that he was uniquely created to do without apologizing about it. He did not make excuses. He made sure that people understood that this is who I am. And I am not going to betray my own identity. Well, what, what does this mean to you and me? 
How am I able to let, allow God to infuse in me this abundant life that Jesus walked out? Well, most of us are willing and probably wanting to do all the above, I would say. However, there is something more than above what Jesus was willing to do in order to have the abundant life that he professes to offer. What is that one thing Jesus did that had more power, offered more life, and continues to be the defining difference between he and any other person or entity that has ever existed? And what was that? Well, he was willing to die. Now, I'm not advocating that we go out and find a way to, I don't know, appropriately die. I'm not saying these things. What I'm really wanting us to understand is that he was doing what his destiny required of him, what his father made him to do. I hope you really understand this. He wasn't dying because that was like some brave thing to do. He didn't want to do it. He asked God so many times to change his mind. And so Jesus was doing the thing that God had called him to do. And he pushed back. And he argued a little bit with God. And he talked relentlessly with God. Please take this away from me. So when we see this, his willingness to die to himself. What does that mean? Die to self. Well, it means all the things that my body is screaming for me to do. I have to determine as an adult whether or not they're healthy, holy, uh, you know, of good repute, of, of anything that, that I would not feel embarrassed if God found out I did it. See, we're going to be addressing this second issue, which is the fact that he was willing to die. That's a huge thing. He was willing to die. See, you you have to remind yourself, we're not out here doing these things and then finding out that Jesus did it too. What we're having to contend with is the fact that he went ahead of us and did it all for us and is showing us the way that we probably don't like. But he was willing to do it. And he's saying, if you do this, if you follow my way, your life will be a reward to you and everyone else. So this is where we, where we land. See, his willingness to die to himself, to his way, his comfort, his wants, his good intentions, his opportunity for accomplishments, and the option to fulfill what he knew was his destiny, devoid of his creator. See, this is where Satan comes in, and he has three temptations. So as well as dying to a shorter, easier, faster, less painful way to his divinely ordained destiny, right? He knew that in order to be what he was created to be, he had to do it the creator's way. Now, have you fought against God? I certainly have. I have questioned God as to how he made me. I have fought against him as to what he wants me to do. I have tried to reason with him about what I think would be better. But this is where I had to come to. Dying to a shorter, easier, faster, less painful way to my divinely ordained destiny will be only fluff. See, he had to trust that his creator, his father, knew him to the very core, to the marrow of his being. Furthermore, he had to trust his father 
who had created him. That's huge. He had to trust that his father knew the best, the most eternal way, the ultimately the most abundant way. So let's for a moment truly understand the word abundant or abundance. See, abundance is being more than enough without being excessive. Brimming, bulging, bursting, chock full, crammed, fat, filled, fulled, jammed, loaded, packed, saturated, overfilled, overflowing, alive, bursting, and abounding. <laughs> That's abundance. Now, I don't know anyone that has that level of, of abundance other than Christ, but I know that he wants me to have that. And this is only a glimpse of what God has in mind for us. So join with me in the next segment as we talk more about this word of abundance and, the, and how Jesus wants to make it happen for us. Well, welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host, and thank you so much for joining me today. And we are talking about a life beyond your wildest dreams. And this comes from a book that I wrote a couple of years ago, and it's called God Wants You Truly Living, Not Walking Dead. And so out of this book came so many inspiring different ways of thinking that I ever dreamed would happen. And this book really did about kill me. It was a really tough one to write. And so this is about a life beyond your wildest dreams. And in Ephesians 3.20, we, we see that God says, God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit, deeply and gently within us. And see, John 10.10 says the thief comes only in order to kill, steal, and destroy. But God says that he sent Jesus to have a life of abundance, to enjoy it, to the full till it overflows. I mean, that's huge. That's amazing. So when we think of this, we kind of left off about talking what the life of Jesus was when we consider the word abundance. And we know that he was free, had a deep relationship with his creator. He had a deep and meaningful relationships with other humans. He had a clear conscience, never betraying his own value system. And he realized his value was based solely in being loved by his father. And lastly, and most importantly, he had meaning and purpose. He fulfilled, he walked out the very thing he was uniquely created to do without apologizing about it. Well, what does that mean to you and me? And where that left us in that last segment was, he was willing to die. Now that, that's, that's quite something to say. I mean, we have soldiers that do this. We have, you know, firemen that do this. We have all kinds of people that, that really do fight for life for people. But think about if you had to die in order for somebody else to live. If it was the only way, the only way for that person to live was as if, it, it, as if you were to die. And see, that's what Jesus did. And this is what's so amazing about God. See, he always goes first. He always sets the course. He is, quote unquote, the way. 
So apparently, this means something has to die in order to make room for true abundance. And that's the life that God is offering his people. So this brings us to the axiom that God inspired when I was asked to speak in um, East Africa on the story of Lazarus. Now, let us first understand what an axiom is. An axiom is a promise, I mean, I'm sorry, an axiom is a premise or a starting point of reasoning. It's a like universally accepted principle, it's self-evident truth, it's one of these things that requires no truth. So with this understanding, God inspired in me the following axiom. What has to die in order for you to live? I mean, that, that kind of hit me like a ton of bricks because I don't want to die necessarily. <laughs> I mean, certainly not today. But I don't want to have to die in order for me to live better. I don't understand that. So now, of course, we all know that, you know, simple does not necessarily mean easy. But we have a great God who has gone before us and knows the way. He does not grow tired. And he understands that suffering through death produces life. Not only that, but he also promises us comfort through suffering and tells us in Psalms 138.8 that the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Amazing. Philippians 3.10, it says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. I mean, I read that verse and I think, wow, it's beautiful, but wow, I... That's a lot. That's a lot to take in. That's a lot to think, wow, the sharing is suffering. You know, that's how I become like him in his death. And so somehow I attain resurrection from the dead. I mean, these are big statements. And in Acts 1-3, it says, After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. So what does that tell us? He trusted his father. His father said, I'm going to take care of all of this. This is what I need you to do. He didn't question God. He simply said, okay. So how about this? This is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, and it's the Message Bible. And the title of this little passage is The Rescue. It says, all praise to the God and Father of our Master, Jesus the Messiah, Father of all mercy, God of all healing counsel, He comes alongside us when we go through hard times. And before we know it, he brings us alongside someone else who is going through hard times so that we can be there for them, for that person just as God was there for us. We have plenty of hard times that come from following the Messiah, but no more so than the good times of healing comfort. We get a full measure of that too. So you see, we know that Jesus is the consummate, quote-unquote, servant leader. He leads the way by example. He doesn't just teach a concept. He walks it out fully and completely before asking or expecting us to walk the same path. Yet again, he promises us in Psalms 23, verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, cannot a shadow be without light, right? The shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. 
your rod and staff, they comfort me. So again, what has to die in order for you to live? Let's look at two types of death that need to occur in order to produce or sustain life. So we have the death of a good thing in order to become the best thing, usually what the person is destined or created to be. This is why they were created. The second death is the death of the thing that is killing me, which is a really important death. And this is usually about uh, maybe different kinds of proclivities you may have. This is about addictions. You know, this is the death of the thing that I love that is going to kill me if I don't kill it myself. So realizing if, this is, this, if the first isn't allowed or encouraged to die, it will kill me. The death of a good thing in order to become the best thing. God will make sure you become the best thing. However, the second will most certainly kill me. See, we obviously have both going on simultaneously at different times in our life. At different times, I'm trying to let the death of a good thing so that I get better. And then there's also the times that I have to die about something that I cherish or want or am addicted to, because if I don't, it will kill me. So when we identify this, the more succinctly what the first type of death entails is simply understanding by using the analogy of the seed. This is an integral part of growing and developing in order to be what God has ultimately designed you to be. So the first type of death is the death of a good thing in order to become the best thing. The next one is the seed. So join me in the next segment as we talk more about how God is doing business in us. Welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. Thank you so much for joining me today. And if you're just tuning in, we are talking about a life beyond your wildest dreams. And this is out of a book that I wrote, oh, a couple years ago. And you can find it on Amazon. It's also on Audible. And it's called God Wants You Truly Living, Not Walking Dead. And so this is talking about God's desire for us. He says he has a life beyond our wildest dreams. And so this is something that's difficult for us to actually comprehend or believe because it, our, our world is not that fun. So what we're learning about Christ is that he wasn't talking about fixing necessarily this world. He was talking about preparing us for a different world, a better world. And what did Jesus have to do to really have that abundant life? And this is one of the things he had to do. He had a deep and meaningful relationship with his creator, which means he really trusted God. He had a deep, meaningful relationship with other humans and loved them well. And he realized his own value and that it was solely based on being loved by his father, not by anything that he did or does or how he looked or how he thought or how brilliant he was, none of those things. What really mattered is that he had meaning and purpose. He fulfilled the very thing he was uniquely created to do without apologizing. He walked it out. Well, so what does this mean for you and me? How am I able to let God 
you know, infuse himself within me so that I can have the abundant life that Jesus walked out. See, most of us are willing and probably wanting to do the above, right? However, there is something more than the above which Jesus was willing to do in order to have the abundant life that he professes to offer. So what is that one thing? Well, Jesus did that really did have more power and offered more life and continued to be the defining difference between he and any other person or entity. And that was he was willing to die. He was willing to die for others. That means us. He was willing to die to himself, right, which is the great temptation. He was dying to the things that his flesh wanted. And so we also have this image of Satan that shows up with the three temptations. See, as well as dying to a shorter, easier, faster, less painful way to his divinely ordained destiny, right? He knew that in order to be what he was created to be, he had to do it the creator's way. He had to trust that his father knew him to the very core of his being. And he knew the best way, the eternal way, and ultimately the most abundant way. So we talked about abundance in the last segment. So I want to just talk about it one more time. So the the definition of abundance is being more than enough without being excessive, brimming, bulging, bursting, packed, saturated, loaded, overfilled, overflowing, alive, bursting, and abounding. This is only a glimpse of what God has in mind for us when he uses the word abundance. So God always goes first. And that's why he is called the way. Because he always goes first when he's asking us to do something. So what this meant is that something had to die in order to make room for the true abundant life that God is offering. Well, God inspired this when I was asked to speak in East Africa on the story of Lazarus. And so this came, this brought me this proverb that God helped me to make, and it's called, What Has to Die in Order for You to Live? What has to die in order for you to live? Well, one of the things that we know that happens to humans is their body has to change. So the body that they were born with has to die in order for that adult to be able to live in that body. So you can't stay an infant forever and do the adult life. So now we know this symbol doesn't mean easy, right? But we do have in Psalms 138, verse 8, and it says, The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. That's awesome. And Philippians 3.10, it says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, becoming like him in his death. So somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. This is huge. So when we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, and we're going to do that in the next segment, because it's really called the rescue. And it talks about how God rescues us in order to make sure that we get to where he has determined for us to be. That he won't abandon us in the process. He won't leave us because we messed up. He's with us every part of the way. And so it says in the last part of this this verse that we have plenty of hard times that come from following the Messiah, but no more 
than the good times of his healing comfort. We get full measure of that too. So stay with me as we go into the next segment. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host, and I'm so glad that you're joining me. If you're just tuning in, we are talking about this idea of what has to die in order for you to live. And we all have something or many things, right? There's these things that we carry with us, whether they're thoughts or feelings or behaviors, um, addictions, you know, impulses or judgments that we have that are keeping us away from really being who God has intended for us to be. And so we think about this and look at this and realize that the first thing, it's the good thing in order for the best thing, that thing has to die. So that could be something like, I don't know, um, you could either go to this college or that college, right? One or the other. It could be something like, I could cut my hair, I could not cut my hair. I mean, these are simple. But what God's saying here is it's the death of a good thing. Okay, something that you really love, something that means something to you, that you think is really good. He's saying, are you willing to give that up? Are you willing in order to become the best thing? And see, this is usually what the person is is destined or created to be. So that first death is like this thing that I treasure. It's like, well, I don't want to give that up. And this is one of the ways that we begin to understand how God works. Because see, the second type of death is the death of the thing that is killing me. And so being in love with the first thing may actually kill me. We have to really consider that we are making choices about our life that are going to carry us through to the end of our life. Excuse me. And we have to realize that if the first, if that first thing in you that you are cherishing, if you won't let go of that and won't let that, that dream die, it might kill you. But however, the second one will assuredly kill me. And this is the one that simultaneously, right, we have two things going on at different times in our life. And we want all of it to come together. And we don't want to lose one thing. So we end up not trusting God in the process. So let's identify more succinctly what the first type of death entails. Actually, it's, it's most simply understood by using the analogy of a seed. So this is an integral part of growing and developing in order to be what God has ultimately designed. And so we see this, the first type of death, the death of a good thing in order to become the best thing. And that's the seed. That's in John 12, verses 24 and 25. It says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So the seed has to die to itself. A thought-provoking concept to consider regarding the seed. Humans can count the number of seeds in one piece of fruit, but only God knows the amount of fruit derived from that one seed. Isn't that an incredible saying? And the author of that saying is unknown. It's an incredible saying. And so John 12, 24, this is out of the Message Bible, and says, listen carefully. Unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never any more than a grain of wheat. But if it is buried, it sprouts and reproduces itself many times over. In the same way, anyone who holds on to life 
just as it is, destroys that life. But if you let it go, reckless in your love, you'll have it forever, real and eternal. See, a seed must die in order to live the life it was intended for. You know, we don't revere seeds. We don't admire them. We are not in awe of seeds. On the contrary, we look forward anxiously and with excited anticipation to the bloom. What is the seed that must die in order for God to bloom in you? In order for you to be his original manifest creation. Don't nurse the seed. Don't protect the seed. Let what is inside of it burst forth. Don't abandon the seed because you don't know what it is. Water it. Nourish it. Do this because it it may be buried at this time. God has planted that seed of life of you, of him, in you, and in him. So you need to trust him. But it must die before it can live. So don't be afraid to let the seed die, to break out of the outward shell. See, we're very used to bondage in a lot of ways, you know, to the box that we live in, to the constraints that we put upon ourselves. And, and we can look at the metaphor of the caterpillar becoming a butterfly. How about the tadpole that becomes a frog or the mighty oak out of an acorn? See, if these necessary metamorphoses are prematurely interrupted or unnaturally delayed, the organism dies. And we see this in the, in the human, the most aptly described in the famous movie Failure to Launch. Now, it may seem a funny movie, but the reality of the story is tragic, especially as we see it played out in our culture, our families, and our marriages. What a tragedy for the individual who never becomes all that they were destined to be, just like the eagle who thought he was a chicken. See, a similar tragedy in this story of the first humans created, Adam and Eve. They were exposed to knowledge before their maturity would support it and went against their creator and the creative process that he had for their lives. See, when we go against creation and interrupt or impede God's timing and the creation, well, it either dies or it fails to thrive. And the same tragedy occurs when a butterfly is prematurely taken out of its cocoon. The enzymes that are necessary to create the wings only happen in the struggle to get out of the cocoon. That was the most recently thing protecting it. See, further travesties occur when children are either not encouraged to grow up or need to grow up sooner than they should. And so you may want to ask yourself the following questions in response to this type of death. Am I refusing to move forward in ways that are age or circumstance appropriate? For example, Am I resisting age-appropriate tasks, such as getting a driver's license, getting a job, a checking account, necessary risk-taking? You know, it could be a refusal to move on to the next life stage, like not wearing clothing that is age-appropriate, or continuing to take care of yourself as if you were in college, or refusing to, like, get a life, right? After your children have grown, refusing to move forward with technology. See, that, that was a big one for me. Because I really loved having, you know, a phone, but anything else with technology, I wasn't interested in. And I had to get over myself and grow up and learn how to do a different type of phone and a computer. So refusing to move forward with technology impedes my path 
and all these things will impede my necessary growth. So remember the seed becoming a tree, which needs to be pruned and maybe replanted. So what am I resisting? And, and what, what do I want to ignore or deny? Am I willing to go through the necessary grief and loss process in order to move on? Am I willing to let go of a person or a group? Maybe a thought paradigm, a belief system? Am I willing to allow a system or system to die? Am I willing to let expectations die? As a way for, you know, new blood, new life to be infused into the system, into me. You know, I've had to let go of, I, I, I tease clients all the time and I say to them, you know, I love the 80s. Nobody can like compete with the 80s, but I can't be looking like I live in the 80s, right? So this is where we say, wow, am I resisting a new season? Am I unwilling to let go of my dream or my vision or myself or another person? What are the birth pangs that I might be ignoring or resisting? What is trying to come out of me? Am I resisting dying to self? See, this death has to occur in both, the dying of the good for the better and the dying of this thing that is killing me. So let's look at these verses. I love this one. This is the following verse. It's great hope from God, and he promises in Philippians 1.6 that he will complete the good work he has begun in you and me. He'll complete that work. He's not going to let it die, even if you are. He's going to make sure that it comes to its true end in the way that he designed it to be. And so let's look at this. This is Isaiah chapter 66, verses 7 through 10. And it says, before she went into labor, she had the baby. Before the birth pangs hit, she delivered a son. Has anyone ever heard of such a thing? Has anyone ever seen anything like this? A country born in a day, a nation born in a flash. But Zion was barely in labor when she had her babies. Do I open the womb and not deliver the baby? Do I, the one who delivers babies, shut the womb? See, think about this. This is God's promise to us, that he knows what he's doing, what needs to die, and what needs to live. So remember, we need to identify what type of change is occurring in me. So in general, is it the first type of death? Is it the type of change that is inevitable and unavoidable? And if I try to resist it and try to avoid it, I'll die to who I was truly intended to be. For example, let's say I'm later in life and uh, I may have to experience more death. This may be due to the fact that I'm moving from the middle to the older generation. So this is inevitable and it's unavoidable, but sad nonetheless. This is similar to the inevitable and unavoidable change of menopause, impotency, the body declining. The question then becomes, am I willing to go through the grief and loss process in order to deal with these changes appropriately? Furthermore, am I willing to allow myself the opportunity to, to enjoy an abundant life, regardless of the life stage I may find myself in? See, the difficulty in this process is that there is not a formula for achieving the abundant life. I can, I can actually give some help and explain what's happening, 
you know, and, and I can, I can at least give you some knowledge that may lead to some understanding. However, this does not automatically lead to wisdom or change. So each of us has a unique growth and developmental process that must be embraced, explored, and walked out. And this is the journey to you becoming your own best version in every season of your life. It has never been done before. God alone knows the, pr the precise and perfect way for you. This is why I love when the psalmist says in 138, verse 8, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the work of your hands. Or in the Message Bible, he says, don't quit on me now. God might also say the same thing to us. People, people, please don't quit on me now. I'm not finished with the good work I've begun in you. Let me establish that personally. See, I love to understand. This is how I find peace as a natural human. Be that as it may, I find that the Lord continuously desires to give me peace, a peace that passes all understanding. This tells me I need to stop trying to understand everything. That maybe I need to accept God and, ha and that God has a way. And it is his way. And I either trust him in that way or I don't. So I need to comprehend his way, maybe. Maybe I just need to trust him. And I know it can be very frustrating. So make sure you continue listening to the show today and make sure that you, you tell your friends about the show. And I really do appreciate it when you do. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. The messages and teachings shared during the show are given as a way to reach you, the listener, with ideas and insights on how you may not only improve your life, but have more successful and meaningful relationships as you become the best version of you. Cynthia is available as a keynote speaker or guest speaker for your corporate or spiritual events. Cynthia is able to customize a message for any audience attending a meeting, retreat, or conference. In addition to this, she oftentimes partners her messages with music as she is a singer and musician. Please contact her through her website at CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can download the most current show from our website at CynthiaHyatt.com or hear a replay on your favorite podcast server. Please take a moment to visit her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated and leave your ideas and comments about today's show. Now, be your own best version. Be my